Well, it is good to be with you again this morning, um, and it's really good to have Pastor Brent and his family back. Welcome back, guys. So they had a wonderful and safe trip, and uh, we got to meet up with uh, Brent down in Southern California, which was actually cooler down there than it was here, and so quite a, quite an awesome experience, and, um, but I'm glad you guys are back. So we have been walking through our summer seminars, uh, talking about the foundations of our Christian faith over uh, several weeks, and the last two weeks we were looking at uh, the nature of the church, um, how it is put together and its leadership, and today we're going to continue with the theme of the church as we look at how we are supposed to interact together as a body of believers, Christ's body, um, together. And so we're going to look at that from Colossians chapters 3 and 4. And here's a great way to find that. Does anybody need a Bible, first of all? If you need a Bible, we've got them to give out um, for your use. Okay, great. Well, so we're going to look at Colossians. So as you page there, um, there's this great mnemonic device that I use to remember where Colossians is. So after you think of Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you think General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So that's just one of those little things you pick up in seminary. And that's my gift to you. <laughs> so as I've navigated through ministry over the years, uh, some of my greatest joys have come from the life of the church. Uh, it just really is awesome when you see people um, just come to saving faith in Jesus, when kind of the light bulbs uh, turn on, you see that the Lord has shown them truths from his word as people lean into discipleship. We've had amazing small groups that have loved each other deeply, have engaged in mission together, um, and you know, sometimes when you go through hard times in life, they're the people who show up and um, are your deepest friends and allies. Also, some of my greatest pain in life has come through the church. And so we have seen hard things too, like betrayals or uh, things like confusion that couldn't be healed, um, or people who walk away from Jesus. Friends who have walked away from the gospel and not returned. And those things that are really hard. And what I've noticed is what often makes the difference between one experience or the other is where people look to find their perspective, their hope, their healing, their purpose. Do they lean into Jesus and his church, or do they lean toward their own sense of fulfillment, their own justification? And so one type of person looks upward and leans into this relationship with, with Christ through faith, and that draws them back into relationship in the church. Or there are others who've looked inward and they've gone their own direction. And so let's see what Colossians 3, 1 through 8 has to say about it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, 
And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So after, uh, or over the last few weeks, we've seen the importance of being a converted people, a people who have gone from from one state of being to another state of being, that we have this authentic relationship with Christ Jesus through faith. And that changes our lives. And so it's really important that we start with that place, that this isn't about just an exercise we perform. This is about how we lean into the relationship that we have with Christ Jesus. And we follow that up. We talked about following that up with the sign of baptism, which symbolizes the death to our old sinful selves and resurrection to new life in and through Christ Jesus. And so just one more plug. Uh, this is the time to register for our class after services next week. If you want to find out more about baptism, what that means for our lives, uh, what that means as a symbol to our mission in the world. And uh, then the following week, we'll have our baptism in between services, um, and we'll get to celebrate that together. So please sign up to be a part of that. But these things are really important uh, because Paul has these instructions for the way that we're supposed to approach life as Christians. And it's totally based on faith and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit is the one at work in us to change who we are and how we live. And the reason that's important is because, as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, we are being called to be these priests or ambassadors, these mediating people that through our message and through the way we live, we're pointing people back to Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. That's so important. And Paul here has something very special in mind, and it is this recurring theme that shows up in a number of his letters, and that is that Jesus is redeeming the world, and he's overcoming the curse that happened way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so if we think about that, that, that humans fell into sin, and there was a curse that was proclaimed. And that curse was, happened to be aimed at specific relationships. First of all, it, it affected our relationship with God. But it also affected several human relationships, particularly marriage, parents and children, and then uh, how we work out into the world and who we work with. And so um, there are these, these places, these relationships that get impacted by the curse. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is overcoming that curse and he's restoring our lives and our activities in, in him. 
And he's restoring that into the world through this family of faith called the church. So there are these relationships that are being healed, and they're the evidence of the truth of our message. As we see these relationships healed, that's how the world sees that we're different, that we have a new identity. So our first instructions come from verses 1 and 2, and that's to set our hearts and minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so when Paul refers to uh, the heart, what he means is our desires or our affections, the things that we want and we long for. And when he is talking about the mind, he means our will or our intention, how we set things into order, how we purposefully move. And the two of those things taken together is really kind of talking about what drives us as human people. What drives you? What makes you tick? Is it relationship with Christ Jesus and his lordship over your life? Or is it something different? And so that's what, what he's got in mind here. And so he's talking about that our relationship with God is being healed through Christ Jesus. And that changes our very drive as a human person. And so um, the, the Puritan John Owen once wrote, On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will become more and more crucified to this world. So think about that. The change of our affections, placing our affections on Christ Jesus, which is something only the Holy Spirit can be working within us, changes the way that we look at the world around us. And the things that, that once drove us, the things that once looked so beautiful that we longed after, start to pale by comparison. And I brought my daughter up in the last service, so I'm going to do it again. She loves it when I do this. But when she was young, she loved sparkly things. And so I'd always be like, you're like a monkey. You, you see something sparkly and you just have to have it. And we are so like that. I, I, I see it in my own life is I see some sparkly and I want to have it. And the reality is in Christ, I, I want to long after him to the point where those sparkly things mean less and less. If our affections are for Christ, if we're looking forward to this future that we are going to have with him, it will change how we want to live our lives and our relationships. And that's how Jesus is going to change the world. One person at a time, one relationship at a time, one church at a time, out into the world. Paul tells us, because of all this, we are therefore, and you know the saying, that when we see a therefore, we have to ask what it's therefore. therefore. Thank you. Pretty soon you're all going to be just instant with that one. But um, so we're therefore, because of this change of affections, we're to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. 
So if you remember a few weeks back when we were talking about Gnosticism and we got into all the, the things that the Gnostics believed and how they used the different terms, mystery and fullness and power and all of that, what they were doing was they were saying that there was a way to get to God apart from the work of God. And it was through the secret knowledge and these mysteries that they were holding on to. And that was supposed to free them from the material or the physical because the material and the physical itself, not that it was tainted by sin, but they saw it as in itself being bad. There just shouldn't be any material. And we were being released from that toward the spiritual. And that is not what Paul has in mind here. He's not agreeing with them. What he's instead saying is the things that are involved with our earthly nature isn't that the physical is inherently bad, but our drives have been corrupted through sin. It's the things that drive us, our affections, our will. And if left to ourselves, our character will stand in opposition to God and his work, opposition to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And so Paul is presuming that he's speaking to believers here, since you have been raised with Christ. And so he's recognizing that the change from spiritual death to spiritual life is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. And it has to happen before we try to change our activities. We can't just muster up the gumption to do better and be moral people. That still leads to death. And in fact, it leads to a pride to think that we can have a moral standing on our own apart from Christ Jesus. We can't lean into a God-pleasing life without a God-sized conversion happening within us first. But if we are in Christ, we are being healed by the work of the Spirit within us. And it's only through his work that that change begins to happen in our lives. Our very affections start to change. So we want to not pursue this. We want to pursue Christ. John Owen, once again, he said, Do you mortify? And by that he means kill sin. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. With the help of the Spirit, we're able to put to death those things that displease God, that hurt other people, and that damage his reputation in the world. And then Paul shifts right in the middle of this way of thinking between verses 8 and 9 from our individual work at killing sin to this corporate work that we're supposed to do together in the church. So let's keep reading. Starting in verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we are called to this work as a body, as a community of removing that old self, killing sin, mortifying, and putting on the new self, just being clothed to look like Christ Jesus. And so when we're doing this work, it, it's so much easier and it's so much more helpful when we do it intentionally in community. That we aren't just being a set of individuals who happen to be sitting here on a Sunday morning, but we're actually a family of faith. We love each other. We're engaged in each other's lives for a purpose. And that purpose is to help us all to be more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. That's what we do as a body. Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, in their book, The Compelling Community, write that the New Testament describes a culture of spiritually intentional relationships. Christians are to confront, to encourage, to discipline, to confess sin, and so forth. Because in the church, we want to see relationships where it's normal to talk about spiritual things. As a family, let's talk about spiritual things. Let's let each other into our lives. Not so that people can be busy bodies and, and pick at each other. Quite the opposite, that this is an opportunity for us to lean into a, an intentional movement toward looking more like Christ together. And as we do that, it changes how we live both in community, but as this kind of signpost we've talked about over the last couple of weeks that point people back to Jesus. It becomes an identity thing. And we've talked about how important identity is. When I was uh, young and in school, um, I didn't have brothers and sisters who were going through school with me, and so I, I felt alone sometimes, and so, sometimes I struggled a little bit on where do I fit? Do I fit with this group or do I fit with that group? Or, or what is my role or my purpose in all of this stuff? And, and so I sometimes felt kind of alone and isolated. But in my community, in my neighborhood, I didn't feel that way at all because I had these generations of family members who lived in the area and it gave me this sort of sense of identity. And so I just knew who I was and that people knew me and knew my family. And there was this sort of sense of stability and comfort that came from that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. There's, there's an identity that should give us confidence. 
So whoever is in Christ has a new identity as God's chosen, dearly loved people. Our relationship with God individually is being healed and our, our identity with Jesus together as a body is something that is supposed to be healing and to give us confidence of who we are, where we belong, what we're called to do. And it's based on Jesus' own character. I've got, a, I've got a good friend in ministry, and um, one of the things he's said is, um, if you stick around here long enough, we're going to hurt each other. And I kind of went, whoa, what a thing to say. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to stick around. <laughs> but then what he said was, it's in the moment where that happens, what you choose is important. How are you going to respond when you feel hurt? Are you going to lean into relationship with Jesus? Are you going to lean into community and work toward the healing of those hurt moments? Or are you going to kind of pick up your toys and go home? What you choose in that moment is really important. And we just need to remember that right in the midst of wherever we are or whatever we're going through, we're not forgotten. That God loves us. He cares about us. That when somebody rejects something that you say or, or does something you don't like, it doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change what we're called to as a body. And so this is an opportunity when we lean into that relationship that we can then turn around and forgive we can turn around and love even when we feel mistreated. And that's important because that changes the dynamic. If we can bring Jesus' healing into that situation here in the church, it changes how we function as a body. It heals things here. And it also shows healing out to the rest of the world. And that's that identity piece. That's the thing that proves to the rest of the world that what we believe is true. And our experience of biblical love in relationship together is something that should lead us back to worship. So Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts. So we're being called to this worship. But have you ever noticed that when you're fixated on a hurt or something frustrating, that it's really hard to worship? Anybody ever experienced that? Maybe, that? maybe that's just me. I know that there have been times in my life where something has so bothered me, just in the back of my head or in my heart, that I'm finding myself mouthing the words along with worship and my heart is a million miles away. It's not a good place to be. It isn't authentic worship, is it? And yet we're being called to worship in spirit and in truth. And so what that means is there's a disconnect and we want to lean into having those hurts healed. Healed individually by Jesus, 
but healed in community, especially if that hurt has occurred in community. Leaving the church is almost never a good idea because it isolates us in our hurt. And it's in those moments that we need to remember the love that God has for us, what Jesus has done for us, the community into which he's called us, and to lean in toward healing within the community. So Paul is telling us here, lean in, deal with the frustrating things in love. Don't do the Minnesota passive-aggressive thing. I'm from Minnesota, I can say that. Let's not do that. Let's bring Christ's peace to the mess. Let's let him restore things. Let's be intentional to foster a culture of care and love and forgiveness and encouragement in the body here at New Life. And that should lead toward worship. Corporate worship, that means this worship together, is vitally important not only because it communicates to one another about what we believe. When we come, we express what we believe. But more than that, it also reminds us of the joy that we can share as we gather together. That we're seeing things happening in each other's lives that we can raise up in worship to God about. That has actually been one of the things that has been most endearing to me about the life of the church is actually seeing what God is doing in other people's lives. Even, even at times where I go, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I see what you're doing over there. And that leads to worship. And I have a great example of that. I've got a good friend. He's been very successful. He's able to buy this really great property, build a fine home, and he could have been satisfied with just that. But he really felt like the Lord was calling him to use that property um, for the gospel and for connecting with the community and engaging um, a discipleship process. And so he started a Christmas tree farm and an apple orchard. And he has people over for all these different events. And then he felt like the Lord was calling him to build a gym. He's got a full basketball court in there. He's got uh, a workout facility and all these things. And all for the purpose of engaging youth and young adults in the area to invite them in for Bible studies and for in, engaging through sports to point to what Jesus is doing in the world. And what's been so incredible about that is he has run into so many roadblocks. All of these things where if this doesn't happen first, this can't happen. If the money doesn't come through here, that won't occur. And then the whole thing's sunk and we'll, be, we'll have half a building just kind of sitting out there rusting. And yet we've seen how the Lord has shown up time and time and time and time again. And each time... We have just been able to celebrate together. We've been able to pray together. We've worshiped together. We've just sung songs together even. And it's just been this incredible moment of praising God because of how obvious it is that Jesus is at work in this situation. What a beautiful thing. So I'd just like to invite you to think about your life of worship right now. How's it going? Are there things that have gotten in the way? How can we bring those things to the Lord and invite him to heal? How can we bring that up in the family and invite the family to come around and bring healing? How can we worship together? 
How can we bring up the joys that we see in the family and worship on account of that? That's what we're being called to, brothers and sisters. Paul moves next into these fallen and cursed relationships that are now being restored in Christ. And so we talked about what had happened in Genesis 3 and Paul's continued message of how those areas that had been cursed are being restored through faith in Christ Jesus. So let's take a look at those. Uh, 3.18 through 4.1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have... So as Paul is talking about this... Uh, restoration from the curse that is happening in these often broken relationships. He puts the responsibility for the healing on each one of us rather than the other person in the situation. We who are believers are the ones who are to bring Christ's healing into the situation that has the breakdown. And so if you're a wife, you're being called to submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. And that means submitting to him in those things that are pleasing to God because you've been given a heart that longs to please God. If you're a husband, you're called to love your wife like Christ loves the church by being for her, encouraging her, not making life hard for her, um, but looking like Jesus. Be gracious as Jesus has been gracious with you. And there's a reason why this relationship comes first. Marriage is the relationship that comes first because it was the first one affected, the human relationship that was affected by the fall. And it's such a pivotal relationship. It's in marriage that our engagement into ministry, into mission, into the world comes. That our, our desire and our ability to do that can be encouraged or it can be hampered by how our marriage is. It also is a place where children come from and our mission to raise up godly offspring. And it has a big impact in the life of the church. Think what happens when marriages are broken inside the church and the chilling effect that it can have in a congregation. It's important that this relationship is healed by Jesus because it has such a big impact on both the church and the accomplishment of our mission. And so I just want to encourage you to take a look at this book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Um, and if you want to, you can just use your phone and, and uh, uh, go for that QR code to find it. But um, I've also got a copy out on the back table there for you to look at after the service. Um, this is a book that really digs into 
Uh, what is the purpose behind marriage from God's perspective? And the mission that can come out of that relationship. And so I really recommend it. Another relationship that Jesus is healing is the parent-child relationship. Again, the responsibility is given on to the believer's part. So children, if you love Jesus, you're being called to love and please him by obeying your parents. It's not that your parents are always right about everything. The obedience comes because they've been given headship over you. And even when they make mistakes, that obedience shows our obedience to Christ Jesus. Parents, we're given the responsibility to model Jesus to our kids, to set healthy boundaries so that our kids will grow in knowing the Lord, modeling after him, and proclaiming the gospel. And it says specifically to fathers, calls us out. Don't embitter our children. Don't be harsh with them. That causes them to be discouraged and to walk away from the faith. We want to keep a foothold in our kids' lives so that we can always point them toward Christ Jesus. And that is regardless of age. So those of you who are older who have adult children, you still have that, that foothold in their lives because of the way you've modeled Christ Jesus to them. And if you haven't, and you don't have that relationship, look to Jesus toward healing that relationship. I want to recommend Ted Tripp's book to you. Again, it walks through a lot of this, just where kids are at all the way along and how to engage in that gospel focus. And then in Paul's day, there are these wealthy households that also often included servants or even slaves. And uh, that doesn't mean that Paul or Jesus were for slavery, but it's this cultural custom that was so ingrained that it was almost impossible to break. And so Paul's focus here is on the redemption of the broken thing, the broken relationship. And so it's a, it's a distant cognate, but we can kind of shoehorn our work relationships into this dynamic. So we can see how boss-worker relationships uh, can, can be that way. So anybody here, uh, is anybody here a worker? You work a job? A few of you. <laughs> That's good. Keeps the household running. How many of you are bosses that have people that report to you? Number of people. Yeah. And so that, um, whether you are on the side of being a boss or you're being on the side of a worker, you're being called in your role to bring peace and justice and um, righteousness into that situation, to heal the work relationship that was cursed at the beginning, that is so often broken. And so I want to recommend another book to you. Um, this is by Bill English, uh, Theology of Business Ownership. And you do not have to be a business owner or a boss to read and get a lot of good stuff out of this. He talks a lot about what has been entrusted to you and how do you steward that for the gospel mission in the workplace. And so it's really a fascinating book. So that's back there also. You can take a look at it. 
Paul's last admonition for the church is to pray for the proclamation of the gospel. So ultimately, what we say, but also how we live, including how we live together as a gospel community, is meant for the proclamation of what Christ is doing in the world, this healing process that he's bringing to the world through faith in him. And so how we live together is on display to the world around us. And as we've seen each week, Paul uses this term mystery. So it's shown up in each of the passages that we've looked at over the last few weeks, this idea of mystery. And it changes every time. So we know that it isn't one thing that is this hidden mystery. It's actually a term that he's using that is their term. And he's turning it on its ear. And he's infusing it with new meaning given the context of what he's trying to get across. It's a rhetorical device as he's engaging the people around him. And here we're seeing that this mystery is that we're being united in Christ Jesus. And how we're united as a body, how we live these things out together, the manner of it is just as important as the matter that we do it. So I've got a good friend in ministry, and he, he says, oftentimes our manner is even more important than the matter that we are trying to get accomplished. How we go about it sometimes is more important than that we go about it. Because we can go about it in a way that damages people. Or we can go about it in a way that unites people. And so what we're being invited into is to be uh, this signpost, this, this witnessing community that is being healed by Christ Jesus, and that is having an impact out through us and through our community into the world in a missional way. So how we live together as a church bears as much witness to the world as anything that we could ever say, maybe more so. When we think about the big C church, church universal, or the little C church, the local church here at New Life, we should think about how Jesus is bringing healing in through our individual lives and how he heals our community together as we engage into the life of the body. I love that, that Pastor Brent earlier talked about that it's a team sport, that we're doing this together. We have to be involved in each other's lives for this really to take root and make sense. We've been given this message of reconciliation, that we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That message and that ministry is the lens through which we should see all that we do and see the church.